Tonight, I'm going to continue in the series on healing. We've talked quite a bit about physical healing, but for the last few weeks, we've talked about how God heals us on the inside. Now, this is another one of those subjects that I don't plan on exhausting tonight. I just want to get us started on it this evening, but how God heals us from grief, how we recover from grief, and I'm joined by some friends here in the sanctuary, or actually, we're not in the sanctuary, we're in the foyer of our church. You know, you get in the habit of saying things. Have you known, known that? So be sure you're in the habit of saying good things, things that build other people up so that what comes out of our mouths is, is good for everybody. But um, I want you to join with me in prayer. I want us to pray. I'm deeply broken over what's happening with all of the folk in Afghanistan, not only those who are, are trying to get out, but the Christians and the churches there. There's been a lot of ministry going on as well as we want to continue to pray for the people in Haiti tonight. So would you join me in prayer, and let's just agree together this evening. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, sometimes we we wonder, what can we do besides give and pray, especially in places as far away as Afghanistan? But we know that you answer prayer. And I'm reminded, Lord, of when you said to the Apostle Paul, or when you said through the Apostle Paul that our prayers had helped him. And so I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would protect believers, you would protect Christian aid workers. God, you will protect the pastors. Lord, we have no trust in the Taliban, despite what they're saying, but we do pray there will be a a change of heart. We ask you in the name of Jesus, Lord, to provide what is needed in this tiny village in Haiti where the earthquake took place. We thank you that already there are places and ministries that are on the ground serving there. And show us how we can continue to serve, Lord, the most needy people in our world today. Now I ask for your blessings tonight, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, first of all, I'm going to teach until about 7 o'clock, and then we're going to shut the video off here, and we're going to have a question and answer session along the topic of what we're talking about this evening. So you can go to our church app, you can download the notes and follow along there if you like, or you can go to our website, woodland.church, and follow along there. But also, if you would, be sure to be faithful with your tithes and your offerings. I'm so grateful for all of you that have stood with us financially during this time. We do need your support. We do need your help so that we can continue reaching out and ministering to others. No one is exempt from grief. No one is exempt from having to deal with grief. And there are many of us that we could talk in this room tonight about some of the painful moments we have. And when I talk about grief, tonight I'm going to primarily deal with the grief of death and loss. But we're going to talk about grief from betrayal. We're going to talk about the grief from hurt and pains that somehow or another we've never been able to, to get over. Forgiveness is a big part of that. But all of us are at some point in our life, we're going to experience loss. And although Jesus promises a life filled with joy, that doesn't mean that we will not have a life that is full of pain and suffering as well. But what we lean into as passionate followers of Jesus Christ is found in Romans chapter 28 and verse, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. So if you would, just kind of follow along with me here. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. 
For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. When I read this passage of Scripture, and I think I've always had this lens that I've read this passage of Scripture through, I believe this completely. But as someone who was accustomed and acquainted firsthand with suffering, there were a lot of times I would find myself saying, God, how are you going to bring good out of this? God, this is evil. This is not right. How are you going to, to bring any good out of this? And so before we talk about how God heals us from grief, let's look at one of those passages that as Christians, we really lean into. Because as passionate followers of Christ, we really do believe that God's will for our life is a life of joy. God's will for my life is joy. That's what God wants for us. And if you're following along online, that's your fill-in right there. God's will for my life and for your life is joy. And you say, how does that happen? It doesn't happen because life is good. It happens because God is good. It doesn't happen because we're optimistic. And some time ago, actually about a year ago, I taught on the difference between faith and optimism. I want to be an optimistic person. But there's a large difference between being faith-filled and being optimistic. Optimists just really don't plant their hope on anything. But you and I, we believe that God is at charge and God is at work. Notice what Romans 8.28 says tonight. God causes everything to work together. Everything is not going to work together unless God is the one that's at work behind the scenes in the situation. The reason that things will come, turn out good in our lives, whether you're a Christian in Afghanistan or whether you're a Christian in Haiti or whether you're like a friend of mine that I can't even mention the country, but I'm so excited because this is a part of the world that intense persecution has happened for Christians. We've never been able to get in there. The gospel, as far as we know, historically has not been preached in this tiny little nation in the world. And if I was to <clears throat> call the nation out, most of you would know the nation, but it's been a locked up place. We now have a foothold into that nation, and there are believers for the first time in that nation who love the Lord Jesus. And so what I'm saying to you is even for people who live in less developed societies or less prosperous situations or people who die for their faith, God still works everything for our good. Jesus, prior to his suffering, and Jesus, prior to the scourging that he would go through, what we call the Passion Week, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that your joy, you will be filled with joy. And notice what he said. Underline this in your outline tonight. Yes, your joy will overflow. Your joy will overflow. That's a pretty incredible statement that Jesus made for us, that your joy, my joy, can overflow in life. So when I find myself in a, in a position that my joy is not overflowing, I often stop and ask myself, why are you not joyful right now? That doesn't mean I'm necessarily happy. Happy depends upon the happenings around me. But why isn't my joy overflowing? And once I can identify that, and many times, it has to do with grief. So first of all, God works out all things. God works out all things. Notice what the scripture said. God causes everything. Not that God caused everything to happen. There's evil things that happen in our world that is not God's will. The drunk driver that ran a red light. 
this past week, my, my family and I came to a stop at a traffic light, and it, just as we did, someone just flew around us, blew right through the traffic light, and the traffic that was taken off on Telegraph Road, suddenly people were honking their horns and hitting their, their um, uh, brakes, and their, you could see the front ends of their cars diving. And I just kind of, with my family, gave God thanks that nobody was hurt, nobody was killed, because the speed that this person ran the traffic light would have caused a fatality without a doubt at that intersection. So people do things, evil from evil intentions, or evil things happen like an earthquake that happened in Haiti, or like what the Taliban is doing in Afghanistan. But God works in that, and this is the confidence and the faith of a Christian God works in that. God will take a premature death. God will take a, 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 someone that was born with a crippling disease. God will cause all of that to work together, secondly, for good. The only way good is going to come out of evil if it is, is if it, God is at work. Now, here's what I say to my unbelieving friends sometimes. I can't believe in God because of the evil that happens in our world. I understand that. I don't agree with you, but I understand that. There are a lot of evil things that happen in our world. But if you give in and say, I'm not going to believe in a loving, benevolent God who is in charge and in control of all things, you're not going to follow him because there's evil in the world, then you have surrendered to the powers of evil because you know and I know that even nations, the most powerful nation in the world at this time, the United States of America, is not able to prevent the suffering that is taking place in Afghanistan tonight. It's not able to prevent an earthquake. It's not able to prevent a virus that we call COVID. So when you think about the folly, I'm not going to believe in God because of evil. Let me tell you something. Whether you believe in God or whether you don't believe in God doesn't change the fact that God is. But when you surrender your life to him, and say, God, I may not understand. And there's a lot of things that I don't understand. As a matter of fact, let me be real honest with you. When I was younger, I understood an awful lot more than I understand right now. <laughs> and that's because my nose has been bloodied. My ears have been cauliflowered. I've, I've come through a lot of life. And there's still a lot of things I don't understand. But I do know this, that God works out all things and God works them out for the good. I love what John Newton said, the author of the, the song that we sing often, Amazing Grace. He said, everything that is necessary, God sends. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. Now, you need to stop and think about that statement. Newton, who had been a slave trader, Newton, who in his, before he became a Christian, would throw slaves overboard in the middle of the sea to lighten the load because of the storms that come up. Newton, who, who after he became a Christian and, and God called him to the ministry, Newton, who lost his life in his ministry, and the, that Sunday was back in the pulpit preaching the gospel. Newton helped us understand a lot of things with that song, Amazing Grace. And what Newton understood and what I have come to understand, that sometimes as a young person I would say, God, how are you going to bring good out of this? is that sometimes God allows evil to happen in my life because it's going to accomplish something good in my life that his goodness has not achieved yet. You take America. I am convinced that right now the political machinery of our nation, the academics of our higher education have lost their moral compass. 
And God has been good to America. And yet we blaspheme him. We thumb our noses at him. We treat God. We won't, don't want God in the political sphere when it comes to the elites and the academics anymore. And I, I don't just throw that out there lightly. It's taken me a long time to come to the place to say that. Because I know a few people who are among those elite who really are repentant. And they have been warning us for years, some in politics, some in media, some in journalism, saying if America doesn't repent, then God will have to judge America. So friends, sometimes the goodness of God doesn't accomplish what God allowing evil to come into our hearts with. And I have seen, for instance, many times at a gravesite, right down the road of the cemetery here, I prayed with a man that would never give his heart to Jesus Christ. I led his wife to Christ. She came to know Jesus. And sometime after she died, we went and sat there by her grave, and he just broke down and gave his heart to Jesus. I'm convinced that if she hadn't have gone to heaven, he would have lived a comfortable life. But now as it is, he will join her one day in heaven. Let me read you that quote again, and I hope that, uh, Pastor Mark, you'll put that back on the screen for those watching at home. Look at that in your outline. Everything is necessary that God sends. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. Everything is necessary that God sends. You say, Pastor, do you think in your life that somehow or another it was necessary for you to go through 40 major surgeries? Was it necessary for you to, to be born disabled? I think that what God has brought out of my life as a result of that has been good and glorious, and I would not go back and change one thing, even though there are still times, and I wish it had been different. I know that God is good and God is control. And the good that God gives, the world can't take away and the devil can't take away. And that's what you need to hang on to tonight. The good that God gives cannot be taken away from us. In other words, think about this. <clears throat> Something could happen, and I've been in nations when that has happened, when overnight the economy collapses and all of your savings are basically worthless. Now, there's some retired people in here tonight. There's some of you living on a pension. That's a scary thought, but that could happen. My grandfather, I was just going through some of his things. My grandfather lost uh, six of seven farms during the Great Depression, all because the economy changed. Things can happen. And so, friends, we never need to put our, our trust in our barns. We never need to put our trust in our own strength. But we always put our trust in the Lord because the good that God gives us cannot be taken away. You say, what is that good? His purpose for our life. Today, I was talking to a young pastor. And I hope he's watching tonight because we've talked about this for a little bit. Today, he reminded me, he says, you know, if you live to be 80, you've only got 14 years to go. Wow, what a way to encourage me and lift me up, you know. And I'm just like, well, thank you very He didn't quite say that bluntly, but, the, you know, it just, you know, quite a statement. And um, I've really teased, he owes me for that big time. But here's the thing. All the good that God's accomplished in my life and through my life and through your lives, I know that cannot be taken away. I look forward to being in the presence of God, not because of any good I've done, but because of the good God has accomplished. And when I stand there, I will not say, Lord, I did this, I did that. I will simply say, Lord, I am here only because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And anything that's good 
has come because God worked in everything. God calls everything to work for the good of those. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 6, one of my favorite verses. God will be the stability of your times. Now, just read it, just that first sentence. I put the whole verse in there, and we'll read it all in a minute. But underline that. God will be the stability of your times. God will be the stability. There have been times when, frankly, friends, I didn't know what tomorrow held, but I knew that God was the stability. But look what else. God is the abundance of my salvation. Come on, victory. Doesn't that thrill your soul? God is the abundance of my wisdom. God is the abundance of knowledge. And the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. And we know from the New Testament that Zion is just another way of describing the body of Christ, the church, Jewish believers and, and, and uh, Gentile believers, men and women. The treasure of Zion is the reverence we have for the Lord. The treasure we have. Now think about that. So don't miss. I, I, you've heard me. I want to be sure everybody in here gets me tonight. Understand this. You will never recover from grief unless, first of all, you live with such a reverence for God that you know God is in control and you want him glorified through your life and everything. Because as long as you first want your comfort or what you want, then the reverence of the Lord is taking second place or the fear of the Lord is taking second place in your life. God is in control. Now, let me just be honest with you. I've talked to you a little bit personally. Let me talk to you about a pastor. Do you know on Easter morning I've had to come to this church and when there's been a beloved member of our congregation pass away? Do you know I've had to come do Christmas Eve services when there's been a beloved member of our church has had a, a, a massive stroke and would end up dying not long after that? There have been times when babies have been stillborn and I've held those babies in my hands and those parents have looked at me and says. How can God bring good out of this when I'm sitting there with them? This week, I met with a young family, and I love them so much, but I prayed with them right here in the altar of our sanctuaries. The doctor was telling them, you've got to abort this baby. You've got to abort this baby. And they were really making them feel bad for not aborting the baby. And as we sat there and talked, the child today is a straight A student. And the doctors told them basically they wouldn't have, you know, the mental capacities to do what they're doing. And yet at the same time, I've stood with others when the doctors have told them to abort the baby because the quality of life as they described it was not going to be very good for the baby. And the baby struggles, but God still works for the good. And those mothers and those fathers and those brothers and their sisters have grown in love and grown in compassion and they've learned how to love somebody that can't care for themselves. They've learned how to take care of themselves. They've learned something about love they would have never known. God works in everything. Did you say God calls that? No, God did not cause that. We live in a fallen world where sometimes genetics get screwed up. We live in a fallen world where sometimes people run red lights. We live in a fallen world where sometimes a medical exam misses something very important. But God is still the stability of our times. He holds us together so we don't fall apart. And we're not held together with glue. We're held together by the very breath of God that breathed life into our bodies. Did you know that? The Bible says you were created just a little bit lower than God. The very breath of God is in your body. That's why life is sacred. Life is not something that just evolved. I was exercising yesterday and thinking about the message and praying and 
just thinking about how foolishly people get off track with evolution. Life isn't an accident. God intentionally created us and breathed life into your body. And the goal of what God is doing is changing me to become more like Christ. Changing me to become more like Christ. And I'm telling you, he's still got a long way to go on me. Some of you in here, you're saints already, I can tell. But look at verse 29. He chose them to become, I've got one person nodding tonight. Y'all pray for them to humble themselves. But he chose them to become like his son. Well, let's move on. How do we recover and how do we heal? That portion on joy, you need to really think about that. I'd build my devotions around that this week. That portion on joy is vitally important. But let's look at Psalms 31. David was very familiar with grief. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am in distress. Tears blur my eyes. My body and soul are withering away. I am dying from grief, and my years are shortened by sadness. Sin has drained my strength, and I am wasting away from within. Have mercy on me, O Lord. You know, for those who go through a long illness, the families typically are prepared. I've watched that. When somebody goes through a long illness, and you're just, you're prepared. You knew, I knew my father was going to die. We walked with him for several years. We knew that was going to happen. But the families that I find sometimes that are struggle is when it's sudden, it's quick, it's an accident, it's, a, it's suicide, or maybe it's, 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 they were living healthy lives, and then like one of my neighbors just, you know, gave his heart to Christ, and a few months later died of a stroke. You know, and I've watched, and we've walked with his family because they're suffering and they're hurting. And sometimes when you've been prepared for it, you've had the time to to reconcile yourself, to pray through and to seek God. But when it's sudden, for instance, if it's a sudden death, if it's a traffic accident, if your child drowns or any number of things that happen, then suddenly the distress that you're walking through is total. You haven't had time to prepare and you're flooded with questions and literally people's health, their physical health begins to suffer. Psychiatrists have terms for this of where people get stuck in a loop of suffering and they can't get out of that loop and they live with that, that they live with that grief on and on and on because of what's going on in their lives. I am dying from grief. That is not the will of God for your life. That is not the will of God for anyone's life in here, for us to be dying from grief. Notice what he says, my years are shortened by sadness. It is incumbent upon you and I as passionate followers of Christ to understand how we can recover from grief if something suddenly like that happens and how we can comfort those if something like that suddenly happens. You're all familiar with this verse of Scripture, Psalms 23 and verse 4. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Listen, these verses will not be in the Bible. And next week we'll look some more at the New Testament's teaching on this. But these verses will not be in the Bible if God was not, number one, helping you and I to accept the reality of our grief. Number one, accept the reality of your grief. God gave us these verses so that we would find strength and we would find comfort When it comes time to grief, don't deny your grief. If you deny your grief, you're only prolonging 
the problems and the pain that are going to come. Listen, you know, now that I've expressed how old I am, I've been pastoring a long time. And I've seen people who literally, once they were able to finally accept the reality of their grief, then they could express all of their emotions. And that's the second thing we have to be willing to do. Jesus was never afraid to express his emotions. David was never afraid to express his emotions. There is a time and a place for mourning. We accept. Let me see if I can help you, like, just to understand this. The reality is, when a loved one dies, you're not going to see that loved one again until you get to heaven. And if unless you accept the reality of that, then you never come to the point of being able to really express your grief in a healthy way. You'll live with grief. You'll waste away. And it'll take time. And we're going to run through some specific spots that grief counselors have told us to be aware of. But when you accept reality, so many times at funerals for people that I love and I preach their funeral, I, I grieve. I tell their families, grieve. You know you won't see them again. I just did a funeral the other day, and when we closed the casket, and it was just the family, when we closed the casket, I held my friend while he sobbed and he wept and he cried. I've been his pastor for 22 years. I've never seen him sob like that. But that was a healthy, healthy thing for him to do and to weep and to grieve like that. And over and over, he kept saying to me, I won't see her again till heaven. That's accepting the reality, but it's a healthy way to express the emotions. And by the way, Sometimes grief is expressed in anger. God can handle your anger. Sometimes grief is expressed in long bouts of sadness, and that's okay. We grieve with hope. But as you move through this process, the fourth thing I want you, or the third thing I want you to do is identify, capture, and store your memories. What do I mean by that? Don't let your last memories be of all the suffering. Walk with your loved ones through their suffering. Walk with them through their loss. If it's suicide, you know, deal with what you have to deal with there. If it's the loss of a baby, then remember all those nights when you held your tummy and the baby kicked in your womb and your husband laid his hands on your womb and maybe your children came and they listened and they laid their hands. Rejoice in those times. Identify them. Capture them in a journal. If there's videos, don't get rid of those videos. If there's pictures, don't get rid of those pictures. Save those sonograms because that was a living human being. And don't remember your husband or your wife or your son or your daughter if they took their own life by the final act that they did in their life. But remember them growing up. Remember the Christmases. Remember the birthdays. Remember the things they loved and they liked. Identify them. Capture them. And then store them not only in a picture album or on a photo album. You know, I've been collecting all our photos, getting them online. And our, our family is sharing pictures. It's, a, it's a, been a wonderful experience finding pictures we didn't know we had. But as we're pulling them together, I'm also building in my mind, storing those memories. Because there are times, I have to be honest with you, there are times as a pastor where I have to call up the good memories. 
There are times as a husband, I have to call up the good memories. There are times as a dad, I have to call up the good memories. And not because there's a problem that necessarily I'm dealing with, but you see, remembering those good times gives you strength and helps you to go on. It's why I've always asked you, pled with you. We teach a class here where we give you journaling helps so that you learn how to journal. And I'm just going to say it. So many of you say, Pastor, I don't have time for that. There will come a day when you wish you had taken the time. There will come a day. And there are times when I am able to call up something in a journal that has just been the right memory to be able to call up. And then know who you are. Know who you are in Christ. You're God's child. If you've lost a husband or a wife, you're more than just, I'm more than just Becky's husband. I've got to know that. From the various early times of our marriage, I told Becky, you're going to always have to remember you are more than just my wife. You've got to be prepared if something happens. You know, you have to be prepared for that. Know who you are in Christ. What are your gifts? What is your heart? What are your abilities? What are your interests? What are your passions? Where do you hurt at in life? What do you dream about? And if you will know who you are in Christ, if your identity is buried in a cemetery... If your identity puts a gun to their head, if your identity is killed in a traffic accident, if your identity is, is taken from you like that, then you find yourself not knowing who you are. That's never been God's plan for your life. God has always wanted you to know that you are beloved in his sight, that you are precious in his sight. God's always wanted you to know he rejoices over you. He dances over you. He wants you to know he loves you so much. He loves you so much. You've got to know who you are. I'm more than just a pastor of Woodland Church. I'm more than just Becky Clanton's husband. I'm more than just my children's parent, uh, dad. I got to know who I am. And I think I have a pretty good handle on that. And if I forget, Becky reminds me. And then finally tonight, prayerfully consider what your interests, your desires, your dreams, and your purposes are this new stage of life. Now, I'm giving these to you very quickly, but these take time to work through. These take, well, a period of time that I'm going to walk you through, and I'm going to go over just a little bit, so if you'll stick with me here. But notice what William Barclay said. This is a great statement out of one of his commentaries. God, thou art love. I will build my life on that. God, thou art love. I will build my life on that. There have been some deep moments of grief in my life there have been some deep moments of pain. And I've come back to Romans 28 and 29, and I've come back to this statement by William Barclay. God, thou art love. I will build my life on that. And I want you to know that will give you strength. It may not change your grieving at the moment, but it will help you recover. Now, how long will it take? I hate it when people ask that question, but I get asked that question a lot. And I'm sure some of you in this room, you've been asked that question. How long will it take? Here, we're just here. These are, some, these are some points from Dr. Norman H. Wright. I uh, reference his book and the resources I give you at the bottom. But um, Dr. Wright says the third month after the death of a loved one is often the most difficult. And why is that? Family's gone home. You've got the insurance things taken care of. You've pretty well you're wrapping up a state affairs for most people and and then you're you're left 
home alone or you're left if you're, if you're an elderly person, you know, you're dealing with your emotions and it really begins to hit you. And I need to be quick with this. I'll be happy to chat with any of you, talk with any of you who are going through this. I'll be happy to talk with any of you about this if you'll just simply contact me. But six to nine months, Dr. Wright says you need to consider your emotional and your physical health. Um, <clears throat> I try to check in with people who've experienced deep loss like this and have you been to the doctor? You know, how are you doing emotionally? And most of the time I can tell from their answer, you know, if it's a, yes, I'm doing fine, don't bother me, or if they're really hurting. And, you know, don't do me like that because I'm going to be like a bird dog on you then if you try to deny you're hurting because I love you. I want to help you grow. This is interesting to me, and I have observed this happening over and over. On the anniversary of whatever that great pain or loss was, one year later, things have been going pretty good. But all of a sudden, it just seems like the whole, you're just reminded, and you go through that whole grieving process. And then 18 months later, you have many more good days and difficult ones. And then one morning, you'll wake up, Dr. Wright says, and sadness is overwhelming. There are people here at our congregation, they'll call me sometime, and they know they can. You know who you are if you're watching tonight or if you're watching this later. Call me up and say, it's one of those days. There are people who come through these doors on a Sunday morning sometime, and they know they can say, it's been one of those weeks. It's one of those days. And I know what they're talking about, and I know how to pray about that, and I can contact them later in the week. You see, the reason... These are identifiable points according to Dr. Wright, and, and, and I think they're reliable, but as I tell most people, it takes you two years to grieve. I want you to hear me. If you're a widow, don't marry within the first two years. That's just a good rule of thumb. You've got a lot of grieving to do. You've got a lot to work through. If you've lost a child, don't try to replace that child. You cannot replace that child. Don't try to get pregnant just for the idea that I'm going to replace my son. That was a human being. That was your son. That was your daughter. It may not even been born yet, but that was still your child. Grieve. Grieve the loss of that baby. Go on with your life. You don't have to wait two years, but don't feel like you're going to replace that child. If you've lost your career, if, you, if you've lost, and, and that sometimes can be a huge loss as well, this same process applies. You know, I don't see it as much with women. I'm sure women experience this, but mostly it's men that come talk to me that some point when they're, they're retired or they're no longer able to work, they say, I, I don't know what to do with my life. And I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. You know, some people seem to just, it just happens really well. I prayed with a very strong man the other day and he just started crying. He says, I feel useless now. I don't know what to do with my life. Well, Understand this, it takes time to grieve. And I just kind of feel checked in my spirit, so I'm going to say this. If you've had a moral failure and you spent a lifetime building up your integrity and your credibility, and then you've done something that's caused you to lose that integrity, don't expect to feel good overnight. Go through the process of grief. Can I go back to that verse of Scripture? Because I debated on doing this, but... I just felt like I had to. In Psalms 31, 9 through 10, if you want to look at that in your outline tonight, sin has drained my strength. I am wasting away from within. If it's a moral failure or sin that you've committed that's caused you grief, repent of that. 
Repent to that. Repent to those that you've hurt if it's still possible. Forgiveness is the most healing thing that is possible when it comes to grief recovery. Forgive, let it go, and let God heal you. There are some resources here at the bottom tonight. I'm going to just, all six of them I really believe in. But um, the book, Experiencing Grief by Dr. Norman Wright, I really, really recommend. The book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, if you need to know how to pray and lament. I just read this with a mother who lost her child, and we read it together and wept and prayed together. And then the final book is by a Catholic ethicist that I have really come to respect, Peter Kreeft. He teaches at Boston College, and uh, I find a lot of, lot of help from reading his book. I read that book years ago, but um, those are just a few resources to help you. I want to pray for you. I love you. I'm glad you joined us. We're going to have some Q&A right here, and um, I'll answer questions or we'll talk. I don't know that I can answer all your questions, but we'll talk till the cows come home or, or I'm just done one. So let's pray. I love you, Jesus, and I thank you so much. It is possible to recover from grief if we will let you and if we will let the church and if we'll let our family, Lord, they can be your agents of healing in our lives so that we don't walk any longer with grief. It doesn't mean that we won't walk with a sense of loss, but we can walk full of joy because, God, you will cause even the evil things that have happened to us to work out for our good and for your glory. This is what the Lord of the Lord says. Now, for somebody that needs that tonight, you're the stability of their times. For someone else, Lord, who needed that final word tonight, maybe confession is where they need to start at. I pray for your healing touch in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Hey, listen, if you're watching this later, do me a favor, like and share. Um, there are a lot of people who need to hear this. I'm going to teach the second part of this next week, but hit like and share because there's a lot of folks that uh, I deal with outside the church, that this could be very helpful for them. So do that and help me get the message out. God bless you. Good night.